you're listening to this thing we call art, a podcast about how if a system is created that you're being told is the way people are judged and you're young and you're not a part of a generation of people who are really critical of that yet, you sort of feel like, oh, okay, I'm not smart because I can't, I can't perform in this format that like determines whether or not people are smart. So it's like, I must not be smart then, or I don't belong here because this is the, like, this is the thing. I'm your host, Kelly Lloyd, a visual artist, essayist, and educator currently based in the UK. I've been interviewing people in the arts about their livelihood since 2017, and today you're going to hear a conversation I had on the 4th of August, 2022 with Shannon Stratton. Shannon Stratton is a Canadian writer, curator, and artist with a focus on craft and artist-run histories. Currently, she works between Saugatuck, Michigan, and Chicago, Illinois as the executive director at Oxbow School of Art. I met Shannon in 2012 when I took the first iteration of her party as form class. I spoke with Shannon at her home on the Oxbow campus. The audio quality for the season is varied, so remember that the transcripts for all these conversations are available on the project's website, thisthingwecallart.com. Our conversation was an hour and 50 minutes long, and while I wish I could share it with you in its entirety, today you'll listen to excerpts from it. I'm going to drop you in at the beginning. second I actually made like a note in my phone about something that I was just like oh right you should bring that up what was it though phone notes I've only recently become a phone note user and then I forget that it made notes in my phone so I every once in a while I open it up and I'm like oh what are these notes <laughs> so let's see well in the role of translator between privacy studio and ideas and a public that raises complicated ideas, the depression that arises over that tension. I don't know what the hell. I guess that was something I thought we should talk about. Do you want to, like, can you read that slightly <laughs> so slower? Yeah, yeah, I mean, help me decode what my own note says. It okay, says, cool. at the threshold, and then it says, in the role of translator between privacy studio and ideas and a public that resists complicated ideas. Semicolon, the depression that arises out of that tension. Do you think when you wrote it, you were like, this makes sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I Can I read something from my notes? Oh, no, I can't because I'm <laughs> recording on my phone. I think I wrote something like after the party that was like, like, if you were 20 and you saw your professor dancing, um, like, with you at a party, like, imagine that, like, it is revolutionary. <laughs> it's, it's like so overblown. It's like a, this is revolutionary. I mean, it could be revolutionary. I don't know. But also it was like a, you know, whatever. It was an end of the night thought where you were like, maybe this is it. This is it. I think about that a lot because I think about like professors, a professor of mine who was my like mentor in undergrad, like literally like my program required that I had a mentor. She was like actually like in the role with that. And she was 37 when I was in taking my undergrad and I would have been like, you know, 22 or something. You know, it was just like, you know, she's like a grown up. She's my mentor. And so, yeah, like I would be like, if I was like at some party in like the forest at one o'clock in the morning with her, I think that was pretty awesome. So she didn't, you, but that didn't happen no, we got drunk all the time together. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> just not in the and forest, I, though. Just not in the forest, though. And I think it was great. I had, like, a really great 
sort of undergraduate program experience where there was a lot of like permeability in terms of people socializing with their with older people in the art community, like not just their actual professors, but just like other artists. And I mean, it's Calgary; it's a smaller community. Um, but there was it was like lots of like very intergenerational hanging out. And I think actually when I moved to Chicago and went to SAIC, I was sort of sad that there was a lot less intergenerational hanging out because at, at that school at that time it was like you know those office doors were open and you'd like stop by and like chit chat about stuff and we'd have like these potlucks in the middle of the like the department when we had visiting artisan like drink wine and like bring food and eat together and like socialize at professors houses and it wasn't like this was the like good version of that you know none of it felt you know inappropriate or anything um but it's just a really small community so it's like i think once you started going to art school if you kind of wanted to be like if you wanted to hang out it wasn't like you're too young you know or anything like that it was just like oh yeah more people coming to the artist run center or whatever i i wonder like because was that like pre-email taking over our lives and then i guess also calgary being like a smaller place than chicago yeah i mean I, I got my first email address when i was in my undergrad program and that was not even my first year school it was probably like I don't know, like 1998 or something, or 1999, when I got an email address, and I, like, didn't know what to do with it, because I'm like, why would I email this person? Their office is right there. I just, like, go over there and ask them a question. I totally didn't understand what email was for. The only person who emailed me was my mom from, like, another neighborhood in the same city to just be, like, some long email about my father or something. <laughs> but that's it. Um, I do wonder, like... Like, it's interesting, not that I really know that many people in other disciplines, but I do think the arts, like, facilitates a kind of, like, closeness with, you know, your professors Mm -hmm. in a way that other disciplines just, like, do not have. And it's weird because people have asked me this question, like, in the UK, and so part of me is like, is this a UK-American thing? Um... And I guess in this case, like, is it an American-Canadian thing? Or is it, like, an arts thing that other disciplines just don't have? Um, And my theory around it was always, like, I mean, I've been lucky enough to have people in my life like you who I feel like at a certain point you treat me like I'm, like, a not-your-student or something. I'm Mm -hmm. just, like, a person who's in the same field. Yeah. Who's like doing stuff. Yeah. Sometimes with you, sometimes inspired by you, you know, and then I'm just that person. And also I used to be your student or something like that. I mean, that's what I felt like ACAD was like, Albert College of Art and Design, um, <laughs> which was like the same. I mean, you know, like I think I like was sort of brought up with that like through that situation where it felt like that turned over really quickly where you're like, okay, I'm your student, you're my mentor, we're having potlucks at school, you invite me over to your place and we have dinner and I get to know you and your cats and now we're close friends and like, and now we're friends. And the person I'm talking about, I'm actually still friends with, they visited me in New York at one point, you know? And and like now I feel like these kinds of really old friends that that are like family where you're like, I haven't talked to you in years. Now here you are. Yeah. Let's have dinner. It's like important, you know, and we like pick back up and it's like fun and, 
and that's really lovely, but like very like not my experience alone, right? Like definitely like a um yeah, I don't know. It's a neat it's definitely a neat thing. I think I mean yeah, so do people in the UK feel like that wasn't their experience? Well, I, I think I was mostly just like people were asking me like outside of my field. Uh, like people yeah. who were like in English or whatever. Right. You know? And Part of it was also this question of, like, do you have your mentors? Right. Um, and I feel like that's something I ask people a lot, maybe because in school I was assigned to people. Right. And it's, like, a weird kind of relationship. Because I feel like it's not like we've developed together or it's not like we found each other in something. Like, literally, they were assigned to me. Yeah. Whereas I feel like at SAIC, like, the first people I wanted to work with where, like, it's, like, I wanted to work with, like, Phyllis Bramson, and I wanted to work with, like, Joseph Wrigley. And I think it had a lot to do with, like, what my art looked like and what I wanted my art to look like. Yeah. And then now, kind of through picking up, um, you know, relationships with, like, you, picking up relationship with, like, Romy Crawford, with, like, Terry Capsalis, it's, like, I don't know if our work looks like each other's work. Yeah. But, like, I'm interested in how you treat me. And then also in in the kinds of ideas you have and the way that you, like, um, navigate the world and your, like, life. And, and it's, like, I'm interested in all of that. And I feel like that creates a mentor, not necessarily somebody who's, like, working in the same medium Right. Or even with some of the same ideas or something right. like that. So Laura Vickerson, who was my professor when I was an undergrad, I was in a program called an interdisciplinary program, which they like invented at ACAD for a couple of years and then he disappeared. And part of it, if you applied for it, was you had to choose a mentor. And so I chose Laura because I'd come in through the fiber department and like wanted, she was a fiber department like professor. So I did choose her and I don't, I think I chose her because I felt like I had a good rapport with her. I mean, I was like 20. I mean, like, I don't know. What did I think about anything? Like, it's like, what was my art? Who knows, right? But I felt like I had a good rapport with her. And I think it was a good, I think it was the right person at the, that time for me, for sure. And then, but there, I've never had any other situation where, like, I had anyone assigned to me or the, that, like, term mentor was, like, you know a part of the relationship until, yeah, like going to SAIC and you pick advisors. And when I came into SAIC from Canada, I, I didn't know who the professors were. And I, like, it wasn't really on the internet yet, you know? Like, you couldn't, or I didn't know how to use the internet that way. But you know what I mean? I don't think it really was. It's not like you really could, like, go and Google somebody and, like, see all of their stuff like you can now, right? And so it was just, like, I don't, I don't even know who to pick. And, and the admissions department just, like, assigned two people to me. Because I, like, didn't, I moved to the U.S., like, 9-11 happened. I was, like, super, like, confused by that and, like, freaked out. They, like, assigned people to me because they were, that's what they did at the time when somebody was, like, you know, first year enrolling and, like, didn't know. And it just felt like I never figured out what I should be doing in that year. Like, it just felt, like, super discombobulating. And... Yeah, it, it was, I I kind of felt like I missed out on a lot because I didn't know 
what I wanted and I didn't know how to really like find out about people and like the way you can find out about people now, you know, I didn't really, you know, there's so, there were so many people teaching at SAIC, like I didn't even know where to begin. I definitely like met some like interesting people through that, but I still feel a little bit like I didn't, you know, in hindsight, maybe um, have an experience that first year that really was a powerful one when it comes to like a, a, like a relationship with advisors. And I struggled that year. I really felt like I missed ACAD because I really missed the community that I had experienced there. And I felt like super lost at SAC and like nobody's office door is propped open. And like, I didn't, there was, I was like, where do people hang out? Like nowhere, you know, like it just felt kind of this 9-11 nobody's downtown anyways. Like it just was like, Oh God, who, you know, like help <laughs> you know somebody um and I think that the thing that like um was that replaced that for me is that I had like a really profound experience by like getting a job at the Joan Potter's for collection in that 1926 which was the gallery on the base at the first floor of the Roger Burns study collection I think like those two things for me were like okay that's my grad school experience that I did these two jobs that like put me in touch with material um, and didn't end up being so much, again, like, not that I didn't have any interesting relationships to people in case anybody who was ever my teacher was listening to this. <laughs> it's just that, like, those things were the thing, like, I was mentored by those objects or something, you know? Although, you know, like, Dara Baum, who was the librarian of the book collection, and Lisa Stone, who was the curator of the Roger Brown collection, while they may not have been mentors of like per se they were like their presence was really like what they did for a living and who they were was definitely like super influential to me so you stayed in chicago i stayed in chicago what's the trajectory um i uh, and then acad did you go straight into grad school after acad no i didn't go straight into undergrad i went to the university of calgary for a year or a semester can't even remember very short period of time and then dropped out and then I moved to Banff over to Canada and like um worked in a bunch of retail stores um worked in a vintage store worked in a Benetton saved up my money and went to do a thing that I think like every Canadian did in the 90s which was like no backpacking around Europe And um, thought at the time that what I really wanted to do was move to London. I really thought, like, that's what I wanted. I wanted to go to fashion school. I was, like, really interested in that. And then found it, like, really intimidating. And then I came back to Canada and was like, I'll just go back to art school. And went to ACAD and went into um, this, like, created this hybrid program between painting and fire. Um you know, kind of like did that and then had got exposed to SAIC because Ann Wilson, who was in the fire department at SAIC for a long time, visited ACAD when I was there and like, you know, the largest lecture and talked about the school. And I got really interested in like that fire department. I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting, pretty radical. And so it just didn't seem like anything that I ever I mean I loved the department at ACAD but like this seemed like really next level in a way and um 
And then I took a year off from school and like just uh, applied to, decided to apply to grad school and applied to SAC only, <laughs> which maybe wasn't the wisest decision, but that was it. And, uh, and then, yeah, I moved to Chicago and did that. So when I graduated, uh, I stayed and then I went back to school and took my MA in art history. Went to grad school as a studio major. I did, I, I paid, I a lot of student loans paying. Now it feels ridiculous to complain about that because it's like it was half the amount of money it costs now, which seems absurd. But um, got some scholarships from some Canadian things, like, but came as a paying student. And then I got a scholarship to take my MA in art history. So I went back and took it. Looking back, it's like that might not have been the best way to make that decision because it was clouded by being the place I got my MFA. And I just, when I went, I felt like, oh, I'm not, artists aren't my people. Like, that's kind of what I felt like after I went. I was like, oh, this isn't, like, these aren't my people. I, I shouldn't take a PhD. If you had maybe done, like, your master's in art history, uh, like, in another place or whatever, you would have been like, here are the people that are my people because we're all in the program together, it, as opposed to being like, my people are over there, like, in this other building. I, yeah, I wonder that, and also that I think there's just a lot of other things I'm interested in, and so, like, had I been somewhere where there was, like, a sociology department over here, or, like, a folklore department, or just, like, other things to, like, other types of people to me, like, maybe I would have found my people, like, my academic people. Because I actually, I, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm a lazy academic. I'm like, I kind of think I'm sort of, I'm, I feel like I'm way more academic in some ways than some folks, like kind of more nerdy or bookish or something <laughs> or whatever. But also I feel like, you know, I fall short of being a, I don't know. I also feel like a lazy academic. I, Great. Um, you know, and so <laughs> I don't. And, and it's I, a new scene. It's called lazy academic. I think so. I think so. And it's like I um, like I think it is something about a particular way that people are able to use their knowledge, and it's interesting because with this class and stuff that I just taught, it's like I almost need to like like I can keep things in my head for about two days. Like I can like shove it in there. And then if somebody asks me about it, I can tell you about like, yeah. And somebody says like, you know, one word, which is in the article. And I could be like, Oh, okay. That's where it is. Like, blah, 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 blah. Five days later, not in my brain anymore. And I think one reason why I'm doing this interview project is because I realized that the thing that I remember most is like, what people tell me in specific places. Mm. I don't know. Is that yeah. kinesthetic learning or something? That's a good question. I don't know. I um, have a very similar memory, and I don't know if what that means. I always call it like a bit of a contextual memory. So I remember things like in place, and um, which is I think what you're saying. Like, oh, we were here, we did this, and we talked about this, and like then it's like goes in the memory palace of that. Yeah. And the same thing is like, it's like I ride a bike. I stop riding a bike. I forget how to ride a bike. I have to teach myself how to ride a bike again. So it's like, it's kind of like a similar thing with most things where like 
people assume that you know how to do it there and you know I think the only things that I can actually like keep a hold of are art making things mm-hmm. like body yeah like body knowledge things and so it's interesting to be like what is it that I just can't hold on to like books movies television it just it just falls out of my brain oh that's nice to know because I feel like I assumed you had really great pop culture recall given like the subject of some of many of your writing, you know, in the past, I was like, oh, you must remember like TV shows deeply, movies deeply, because there was so much of that content and some of the research you did in grad school, you know, and I just assumed you had really good recall. I can't, I will literally watch a movie and like 15 minutes into it, be like, I've seen this movie. (laughs) Well, so it's, it's funny though, because it's like, you know, what does it mean that I work with books sometimes <laughs> and how much of it has to do with like not reading books, but like what are the other kinds of relationships we have with books? Because like we assume people are reading more than they probably actually are, like especially academics and stuff. Like I remember somebody told me something like, yeah, when an academic is asked to like write a blurb for a like book cover or something like maybe they'll read it yeah i i like had the same conversation with somebody once where i realized that like the friend of mine who yeah i think one time she's like you don't read the whole book shannon like you just sort of you speed read in this way and i'm like you speak i'm like you're speed reading or something it just it means that you're like a you skim in a particular way i'm like how what is this what do you mean and i was just like it just changed my whole, like, impression of things. I'm like, oh, this person reads it in the books, but they're not really reading them. And I feel like I was taught how to do that, and I can do that really well. And then it's just, like, everything just feels like a game. Yeah. Because, like, you can find whatever you're looking for. Yeah. And yeah. this, I think, goes back to our conversation yesterday about kind of, like, how you can find what you need to justify... Right. Your understanding of the world. Right. Um, and I think, I guess, like, those things are tied in terms of, like, academia or, like, knowledge production or something. And, like, w- what theories then are there for people to be able to hold on to? My impression is, anyways, I mean, I'm sure there's something. I'm sure I don't know. Right. But my impression is that people do not study a writer or an artist with the depth that people used to historically, right? They're like, well, you know, they don't, nobody throws their entire life into just like deeply understanding this one person's like print portfolio from 1961 or whatever, right? Like it's like, that's not art historians anymore because now there's these, you know, curatorial studies programs. There's these other sort of like, like art history light things or something. And, and, or everybody's like a, you know, a contemporary art, it's like taking a PhD in contemporary art. They're not like, you know, they're not interested in like this very particular like litho that like, got, you know, it's like not that same sort of like granular kind of understanding of things. And I, you know, I like, I wonder, I don't, it's not deepest thought, but it's just like between that and like a, just a common sort of um, practice of the like, you know, the skim till you find what you need and 
you know, the, the sort of Wikipedia version of research, it's just, and like, n- nobody has an editor anymore, you just, like, publish wherever you want online, like, I don't know, we're leaving a lot of stuff, you know, we're leaving, leaving a lot of stuff sort of buried, or, like, really deep understanding of things is, like, is going away, you know? Or we understand things only as, like, I don't know, we're not trying to understand things maybe at the depth that, like, we could be. And it's exasperated by, like, the demands to sort of, like, pump up with something next, like, faster, faster. Yeah, and I wonder how much, yeah, like, I was thinking about, like, velocity. And then also, like, velocity's impact on, yeah, the way that we learn, but also the way that we, like, process things. So it's, like, the fact that, like, I can only retain things really well for two days like, how much of that has to do with, like, my mind and how much does it have to do with my mind that I've developed and adapted based to, like, the information world that we're, like, currently in or whatever. And I'm sure it's, like, both. Yeah. Um, but um, I consider myself, a, you know, a, a lazy academic or a bad academic. I consider myself someone who, like, does not read well, um, does not retain reading as much as I need to in order to not be a lazy or bad academic but it's like kind of wild when you're like like I guess in the scale of academics I'm like a lazy academic and then in the scale of the artists I'm like a good academic right and I'm just like in the middle there you know and I've always always known that you know I guess my my sort of um, love-hate idea all the time about, like, going and doing something like, you know, taking a PhD is like, oh, no, but I'm not, I can't do that. <laughs> like, I can only, I can only get, I can only, like, pass, you know, in this way, like, within certain sort of contexts. I think what's really, like, haunts me is the, when I first went to university, right after I got out of, like, high school, and I, I said I dropped out of university for a while and then went back to art school. When I was in the university, I remember taking some like two classes. I took like some like Greek mythology class and then like some poetry class that like again I didn't totally know how to navigate university. I didn't know the first person in my family to like college. So I had like no guidance, you know, but like nobody to sit down with and be like, okay, like I was like winging it, you know, it's <laughs> like, this sounds cool, I'll sign up for this, or like nothing else is open, so I guess I'm in this like poetry class on Chaucer that like I don't even know why I'm in this class. And I just, I failed both these classes like really miserably. <laughs> I got, you know, just had like a really negative experience at the university right away after having been like a decent student in high school. And, uh, and I think like that's one of those things where I really like, I, I dropped out of school and then like when I went back to to art school I was like so intense about like being like I would read all the books like I would get the reading list for my literature class and read all the books over the break before class like I was just like no it's not gonna happen again I can do this you know and then I did better much better in school you know when I was going to ACAB but um but that like you know, that, that experience of that first year of university, like, always haunts me, like, universities are not for me. Like, <laughs> like I don't. What I, was it? Was it, you just, like, didn't have the tools to be able to, like, speak in the way that they needed you to speak about these things? And they didn't educate 
view on what those tools were clearly enough before they evaluated you? But I don't know. I just, it felt like I was in over my head. I mean, I think at the time. It's the, I mean, I think in some ways things felt opaque. I remember that mythology class was like something in a huge lecture hall and it just felt like that was like a scale of, of like learning that I don't retain well, you know? I don't go to lectures often, like even though sometimes I'm like, gosh, that'd be interesting to hear that person talking. I'm not inclined to do it a lot. Like it just washes over me, you know? <laughs> um, so as part of it, I think, is that, that just like the format of, of a lot of those classes was just like incompatible with my with like learning style or something. But it did, I think, in general, that feeling was just like, oh, that's university. It's like, it's big, you're, you're, in the, you're there with a bunch of people, it's somebody very small way down there, like in the lecture, and it's overwhelming, or it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, makes you feel small and, you know, alone. And so it's kind of like, no. And that, you know, a small art school is a very different kind of experience. I'm 47 years old. I'm turning 47 this year. I have a lot of unresolved wounds around academia. <laughs> I, you know, I really have had like a very like conflicted relationship with academia my whole life. Because when I was a little kid, I was in like a gifted program. And then when I went to university and I failed, I, I had like an incredible amount of shame around that. And it was like, for me, that was like, I'm, that's it. I'm a failure. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. It's always really funny how those things like really stick with a person that like you just have like a hang up in life and it's like it never it never quite resolves itself, you know. If the system's created that you're being told is the way people are judged and you're young and you're not a part of a generation of people who are really like critical of that yet, you sort of feel like, oh okay, like I'm not I'm not smart because I can't you know, I obviously am not able, I can't perform in this, like, format that, like, determines whether or not people are smart, so it's like, I must be smart then. Yeah. Or I don't belong here, because this is, like, this is the thing. Um, art school. Art school. And so, <laughs> no, this is really, you know, like, and so then what, I always think that, like, you know, before people were like, there are multi multimodal learning strategies or whatever, people were like, well, all of the kids that can sit at a desk for hours, like, go here, and then everybody else, like, run around or go to art class. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, how is the arts, like, a catch-all for different kinds of learners? Mm -hmm. um, and then I like you talking about the difference between, like, the, the, the um, spatial difference between being in a lecture hall versus, like, being in a, you know... In a, in a small group of people who are in a small community who are able to, like, have a potluck. Yeah. You know, so it's also kind of like, well, what community do you want to be in? What relationship do you want to have with all of the other people who are also learning? And then that kind of narrowing um, down also, like, um, the subjects that you choose. Um, well, I, I would say going back to that, like, what is the you know, the environment that you're going to be in, like, I do think that, like, is art school, like, a catch-all for a lot of different kinds of learners? I mean, 
I am not a good maker of objects. Like I am not a craftsperson. You know, I mean, I am very interested in craft, you know, and I'm very, I mean, very interested in all kinds of material art objects. Actually, I shouldn't even, I mean, I shouldn't differentiate between them, to be honest, like pretty indiscriminate and pretty interested in a lot of things, but like, I can't make those things. I don't have a lot of patience for that kind of like, I don't have like very good hand-eye coordination. Like I'm not very good at like a, a kind of like fussiness that might result in, you know, like that tiny drawing on my wall that you fake made. Like I don't have that like level of like focus and patience. I don't have the kind of like uh, bravado and like performative like or being to make like some big expressive painting that is like the opposite of fussy. Like I just don't have that, those kinds of abilities. It's so weird that I went to art school. I'm not a maker, but I identify as one, <laughs> you know, because I'm just like, I'm definitely not like, I'm not this like person. Like when I was like, Oh, I'm these art historians, I'm the people I want there. But I'm like, I'm not actually like able to demonstrate that kind of facility with material the way like artists, normally can and so it sort of feels a little bit like being in no man's land a little bit you know does yeah. this go back to kind of what you were saying in terms of like the roger brown collection the Joan flash like artist book collection introducing you to materials that you're inspired by and interested in working with and then kind of this your ability um to remember things that existed in a time and space that were like grasp. I don't know if it, I don't think you said the word graspable, but like, yeah. Do you think that's a kind of line between like, say curators or like space developers or like, you yeah. know, cause it's like, you're not actually working with like, you're not making an object, but like you're making a relationship between objects. You're making an idea between objects and ideas in a space or. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, for, I mean, I think that is for me, like, I'm very compelled by and very much miss the, like, that kind of work. Um, currently not a curator. <laughs> but, like, I, I miss, like, that's, I still, like, think that. Like, I think about things in terms of, like, what is this object doing in this? You know, I loved your students' posters because I just thought that was just such an interesting, that's an art object and it's doing this thing. It's performing in a space and inflecting people's behavior. And it's like, that to me is what makes objects interesting, you know. Thinking about the class that you just finished teaching, um, like how does a text like inflect like the performance of, that then people enact, you know, with one another or whatever. Like that, how... How any kind of object, like a text object or a different kind of physical object, is like a tool or a prompt or an actor in space is like the thing that I am the most compelled by. And I don't think that's what uh, I don't think that's what all curating is, though. What's an example of a thing that you've done where you're like, that's it, that's the thing? Like a show, or just anything, or just anything. Well, parties. <laughs> I mean, I think a situation that is got multiple points of prompt, tool, physicality, timestamp, 
I think it's like situations where it's like something happens or something changes over time, something is put into motion. There are, you know, chapters to that motion maybe, or there's like footnotes to it or something that like I said, like different registers of like what might be a static experience, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, the reason that I said party was formed is that it's like, the point of that class was like to, at a moment in Chicago when there were so many people doing social practice work to be like, why don't you think about it through this lens so that you can like really determine whether or not, like, so you can learn, like think about critically what it means to be inviting people to do something with you. And it made a lot of sense to me to have it here, which is a place that seems to have a lot of like kind of rules in place that are about like play and, um, uh, and performance, you know, that, so it's like already a site that you can sort of exercise that, like you can test that theory out on or whatever. And so for me, that felt like a very perfect thing. So it's like, here's like, let's critique something that's going on in, in our field, let's say, but has trickles, trickles out beyond it. Like let's critique a thing with a bunch of texts let's put it in a site that's like specific to do that work and like feel the thing that we're critiquing while we're doing it. And then like try to act on it in some way, in a way that feels like very immediate, like not a lot of chance to like fuss over it. And I think cause, and that to me comes more from a place of being somebody that like gets lost in like, well, I can't really make this thing. So I guess I won't make anything at all. But like if you got short on time, short on materials, you're just like thrown into this thing. Like you'll do a thing and it'll turn out however it is. And then, it'll be brilliant and I'll accept it. And so I think that's like a constraints based making, um, that I think is like a really like powerful way to learn about something. So yeah, I mean, that's why that feels like the thing. Um, of course that's like inside teaching and pedagogy, which is so different than being, I mean, museums that are teaching tools, but it's like, different because you've got a close group of people participating versus a museum where you're like, who knows who's going to come by and do this thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think like in, in like curatorial settings, I try doing that with exhibitions like often and, you know, I think some of them worked and some of them failed. <laughs> You know, and that feels like awkward to admit. It's like, oh, maybe that cost a lot of money and maybe that wasn't what I thought it was going to be or maybe that's not what I wanted it to be. And maybe it would be easier if I just had put some things on a pedestal and put like a didactic on the wall and like moved on, you know. But that is, to me, that the times I had to curate shows that looked like that, those were the biggest failures to me. And then the things that were more experimental that maybe weren't, were maybe the ones that resonated with me the most, you know? So I'm not giving any examples of any of those things, am I? Because um, I can't pick a favorite child in that way, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, like, in this class, um, in this parties form class, trying to talk to them about their parties, but then also trying to talk to them about parties in general, not use language about, like, success or failure or, like, good or bad, because it is really just, like, you had an experience. Yeah. You know? And was yeah. it a memorable experience? Was it right. something that, like, made you think? Is it something that humbled you? Is it something that you learned from? Is it something that, that like, 
you got some, you got to test out something or something like that. It's just kind of like, what are ways that are, um, that allow you to evaluate things on the terms of the things itself, mm-hmm. as opposed to being like, yeah, I mean, it's interesting even talking to you. Like, I don't know if I go to shows being like, is this a successful show or not? Right. Or something. Um, my own shows, I feel like, you know, I don't know if I think of them that way either. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in Three Walls, and I know you've done a number of, uh, you've done work in a variety of organizations that you have created, and you've also worked with and for to make sure that artists are, like, compensated Mm -hmm. properly. Before I even knew anything about Three Walls or anything about you, like, I knew that you paid artists. Mm -hmm. And that's something that doesn't happen. But I knew that Three Walls was one of the organizations that was doing that. And so, I don't know, I wanted to kind of ask about, right, like, acknowledge that work that you're doing. Um, But then also ask if maybe Three Walls was a place where you could feel a sense of kind of like authorship or something like that in a way that maybe you can't feel like you can exercise that in other roles that you've taken. Me and three other people founded Three Walls when um, I graduated from grad school. I, as alluded to earlier, grew up in Canada and it is essentially mandated that people pay artist fees because you can't get funding from the Canada Council if you don't pay artist fees, and they have like a very clearly defined sort of um, schedule of what fees are, and it's very detailed. So it's like from writing to reperforming a performance you've already like performed before to a new performance to a lecture to a lecture you've done before. Like it's a very highly detailed. Um, and when I moved to the U.S. and I was just like. I don't know. I was in some situation where I was like, oh, what's the artist fee? And it was like, there's an artist fee. And I was like, wait, wait, what? There's an artist fee? And I had no idea. Like, it was just like full ignorance. It wasn't like a, you know, it was just like, oh, I mean, I had the same experience of healthcare in the US. I was like, wait, what's this bill? <laughs> like, I'm confused. So I just didn't know. I mean, I was very young when I moved here too. So when we started Three Walls, it was just sort of like, well, I want us, you know, we're going to pay artist fees, it's an artist run center, we're just like, we're going to start from there right away. And then I think as the, it ran longer and longer, there are other things that have added to that. It's like, we're paying artist fee, here's your material stipend, we'll make a publication and print it, and we'll pay a writer, and, you know, all of this comes to $4,000 or something. You know, like, it was, like, and we can do this many shows a year with this budget, so it was, like, very... We did that, and then we paid staff, like, after that. So it was, like, all of that happened first. Eventually, we raised enough money that, like, people could get paid to work there. Um, and I think that's, like, I, I mean, regardless of, like, my inability to make compelling objects, I still came through a BFA and MFA program, and especially when I started Three Wells, like, saw myself as, like, a person who might have a studio practice someday if I could, like, get my shit together. And the, like, I think my, I think it's just that it, like, it's not, you know, I, that's where I started, where it's like, I'm another artist starting an artist room space, so I'm going to pay artists. And then I think doing that job, I realized, like, oh, what I can do is I can be, like, 
Robin Hood where I'm gonna like I can get the money and then I can like redistribute it. You know, it's like that like this I'm uh I can go I'm a go between. Like I can figure out how to write these grants and get them in and then like redistribute it. Like that's what you do. Like that's what I'm doing, you know, for like my peers or something. You know, like when I went to MAD, I instituted that we pay our fees there. It's actually not that hard. You just like write the budget differently. You're like, well now part of the show budget is a five thousand dollar artist fee. That's just, we just put that in there. So that's cool, right? You know, like, we might have to not do something else. Like, or, you know, but we, this is the budget, and this is what's in here, and we can talk about how to make a show out of that. I hope they're still paying our fees. I don't know. But that is, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just sort of feeling like being somebody who can figure out where to get the resources from, and then, like, how, like, how to help give them to other people and yeah but like wherever that sort of has transitioned into sort of being more of an administrator I think I'm like losing my sort of sense of like you know creative stimulation because I'm like in the weeds maybe too much or something like I'm I'm like getting further and further away from like you know being what that's kind of maybe what that note is about it's like it's like the the tension that like comes out of let's read this quote again so being the translator between the privacy of the studio and public that resists complicated ideas uh and the depression that arrives out of that tension it's like it gets you know i think that i probably wrote that because i was thinking about like it can be really depressing being the person who's like i'm trying to I want to support and make visible complicated ideas because I care about them. I think that they matter and constantly being in the act of like trying to translate those, whether it's like I'm trying to put on a show or I'm like, you know, like being the director of a school where complicated ideas are allowed to happen. I think just that thing that I wrote was just like the feeling of like the tension of trying to sort of be in both places. The thing about, molding and making three walls a thing that that operated it was like it did eventually for me like run out of steam because I was more and more an administrator there like after a certain amount of time and um because it you know we had lots of input from our community people on committees and like you know there was a lot of different ways that it wasn't just like whatever my brainchild or something like it wasn't a vanity project and so it was I think when I left it's because I really wanted to have like some creative agency over and just be like I'm curating the show like I, I didn't have to it's not about like an open call or like a jury discussion or and I still like believe in those like you know types of ways of bringing people together but I think I left because I wanted to like try the other thing out and then you know just encountered the other version of that which is like uh you know and understandably like museums are tasked with trying to appeal to way more people than they can possibly appeal to at any given time but that's what they think they're trying to do um so so I don't know no nobody's ever happy (laughs) In conclusion, um, my last question is um, the only question that I ask everybody, um, which is, um, did we talk about what you thought we would talk about, um, or 
Uh, do you have any questions you'd like to ask me? Or is there, and or, is there anything you'd just like to say? Kind of on the record. Um, do I think this is what we talked about? I just figured we'd talk about whatever we talked about. So, yes. Um, surprised a little bit that I'm like, re maybe I didn't think I was going to be like recounting my journey in quite the way I ended up doing it. I think I probably thought we were going to talk a little bit more about, not because I thought you were going to guide it that way, just but I thought we were going to end up talking more about like the absurd practicalities of working in the art world, um, like as work. Um, and I have no sense of loss for having not talked about that, you know? And then... Um, and then I guess that means that my question for you is, is this what you thought we would talk about? <laughs> yeah. I don't really, you know, I feel like I choose people who I want to talk to and I'm interested in like how you navigate, um, being in these different roles and one of the roles also being an artist. Um, I'm interested in kind of something you said to me last year in terms of like, institutions institutions are the problem and it's kind of just like well who's in the institutions i'm also an institution what yeah. is an institution yeah i mean i think i'm always like thinking about that like that i'm you know sometimes i'm like what would i go back to study at university basically like what were the things i'd be interested in studying and i actually think one of the things that i find the most curious is the concept of institution as like a catch-all bucket that people can throw like a bunch of like opal in you know it's like whatever I'm pissed about just goes in this bucket called institution you know and without like remembering that it's like oh like the institution includes me because I work at one or like <laughs> you know like my friend I, I think one of my frustrating things about the like institution shit bucket is like a lot of fucking people who need to work have to work in institutions because not everybody gets to be an independent artist or an independent academic or an independent thinker. Like that's not, that's not achievable for like 90% of the population. And so where do those people work? So, you know, and like they're complicated working with people's heart and not trying to like give a blanket past institutions. It's mostly just to be like, they're difficult. They're filled with people. They're filled with people negotiating things all the time. They're so filled with people negotiating things all the time that I think a lot of the time they've lost the plot. Like, I'm not giving institutions the past. I'm not making an excuse for them. It's not yet. It's just mostly, like, people work there. And often artists have to because they need a job. And, or academics or whatever. And they make up most of the people who work there. So it's like, it is a... It just ends up being this funny, like, blanket thing that we, like, throw all of our, our crap at. But we, like, don't even really know what it is, <laughs> you know? Or, like, we don't really know what that means. It just becomes sort of a, like, that's the blanket term. I'll just put on some things that I hate. And you're like, okay, can we back that a little bit? I think some people mean institution when they say, like, a thing that's been around for a long time. But I think it's come to mean, like, things that are impenetrable that we hate, you know? It doesn't really mean things that have been around for a long time and proven that worth it's more like that thing's been around too long and we hate it and it's like impenetrable today that's what I think institution means I don't know what it'll mean next week <laughs> um but anyways what do people hear right now institutions <laughs>
They moved on from your hairs. <laughs> no, I think they hate MFA programs. Is that what it is now? I kind of think it's maybe that. It's just like, it's like we hate MFA programs. I think that's, maybe that's cooling off, but I feel like there was like a deep, like, no more MFA programs vibe for a minute. We'll see. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. I'm afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Epilogue. On the 20th of January, 2023, Shannon Stratton wrote to me, Since our interview, I have been strategizing ways to better support my practice as a writer and curator. You can find more information about Shannon Stratton and her work at her website, shannonraystratton.com. Links to what we spoke about today, as well as other interviews with people in the arts, are on the project's website, thisthingwecallart.com. This podcast was funded by the Oxford Research Center in the Humanities. If you would like to help make the next season of this podcast a reality, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts, becoming a Patreon member, or donating through the PayPal link on the project's website. The logo was designed by Eva DeWerden, the episode artwork was created by Julia Ratti, and the theme song was made by Alessandro Moroni. This podcast was produced by me, your host, Kelly Lloyd. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next week for my conversation with Dr. Joanna Joaquin.